1: And there's a guilt for all of the ways that we mess up, all of our failures on a daily basis, our shortcomings, because I think a lot of us still have this idea that we should be able to come pretty close to perfect if we just will try a little harder.
0: Welcome to the No More Perfect podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Have you always wondered if motherhood is really all it's cracked up to be? <laughs> I mean, really. Sometimes there are just days, there are seasons that you just go, "Really? Is this? Is this the wonderful parts of motherhood that everybody says that I should be enjoying and I'm really wanting to know where to go to resign?" Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. If that's you and you've had those thoughts or you are having those thoughts, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And my guest is Becky Bodwin. And I'm so happy to have you on the No More Perfect podcast, Becky. Welcome.
1: Hi, Jill. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, Becky,
0: you've written a book, and I love the title. Enjoy every minute and other ridiculous things we say to moms. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I love that because there are a lot of ridiculous things we say to each other, aren't there?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, I am thrilled for us to be able to jump in and talk about some of those things. So Becky is wife to Bernie and mom to three daughters, and the Bodwins have called Chicago their home for more than 20 years. So we're about two hours south of Chicago. So I'm waving Becky, even though we're doing this uh, online. I love how you describe yourself, Becky, you're a friendly introvert, a self described homebody. And if you're looking for you, you'll probably be in the kitchen. What's your favorite thing to do in the kitchen?
1: Well, I actually love cooking at home. And it's also my job outside of my home. So I literally am almost always in the kitchen.
0: Really? So yes. what it, what do you do as for a job outside of the home that you're cooking?
1: So I work at a local place. It's a really special place called Mindful Kitchen and we prep meals for people to buy and make at home. So it's all ready to go. It's kind of like blue apron or something like that except yeah. we don't have to do the chopping. And actually prepping the ingredients, you just purchase them and cook them at home. So I work three days a week as a manager there, and I'm in the kitchen a lot. And then I come home, and most nights I still cook for my family because it's passed on to me from my mom and my grandma. I truly love it. I love being I in the kitchen. I love
0: that. Oh, what a unique job. And especially yeah. if it's fits your gifting, then that really is a nice fit for you.
1: Yeah, I love it.
0: All right. So you say... And I love this, that one of the most popular pieces of advice offered to moms of young children is enjoy every minute because the time goes so fast. But you consider this impractical advice. So talk to us about that.
1: Well, it's impractical because it's not realistic and it's not attainable. So you never hear moms of young children say this to each other. First of all, it's always moms whose children have grown and they see moms with little kids and they start to reminisce about when their kids were little. And I get this because my older two daughters are in college Mm -hmm. and my youngest is in high school. And just the other day I had a photo pop up on my phone. You know how it sends you photo reminders, it was my 20 year old as a four year old holding her newborn baby sister. (laughs) And that's the kind of thing that makes me want to tell young moms like enjoy every minute because it goes so fast, but it's just not realistic. And it's, you know, it's impractical. And I think even more than that, for a mom who's exhausted, and overwhelmed, it can turn into some really negative self talk. And I've experienced this where the mom can just start thinking, you know, what is wrong with me? I should be enjoying this more than I am. No, Right. Yeah. So,
0: Yeah. So really what it does is it begins to kind of cause mom guilt, doesn't it?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so.
1: And I think it also makes moms feel like they're alone, like there's something wrong with them because everyone else seems to be embracing this idea that it should all be enjoyable.
0: But it's not, is it?
1: No, there's some really <laughs> awful moments that I just think that it's impossible to enjoy moments that are terrible. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You just have to endure them and and exactly. and get to the other side. I mean, there are beautiful, joy filled moments and ones that you will always treasure in your heart, but sometimes yeah. There's just hard days and there are hard seasons. So let's talk just a little bit about mom guilt. You put some questions out to your social media audience when you were writing the book. What kind of what kind of responses did you get?
1: Well, yeah, that was so interesting to me because I knew that this would strike a chord. So I asked moms to tell me, you know, what does mom guilt look like for you? And specifically, what does it sound like in your head? And I thought it would be a public conversation in the comments. And I found that uh, moms did not want to put it in the comments. They were saying things like, well, how much time do you have? Or, gee, where do I start? So I invited them to um, email me or private message me. And my inbox was flooded with the most raw, honest Mm. things that moms were sharing with me. And what I found is that first of all, so much of what we feel guilty about are things beyond our control. Absolutely beyond our control. We feel guilty when our kids get sick, when they're not good sleepers or they don't eat well. Several moms shared how they felt guilt because they weren't able to provide a sibling for their only child. One mom who is in the empty nest phase, Mm -hmm. her son is now expecting a baby and she still carries this burden of guilt because... He doesn't have a sibling and there's no cousins. And so very painful for her. Wow.
0: Yeah. And what a good point that we carry guilt for things
1: that we can't do anything about. Yeah. And then there's a guilt for all of the ways that we mess up all of our failures on a daily basis, our shortcomings, because I think a lot of us still have this idea that we should be able to come pretty close to perfect Mm -hmm. if we just will try. A little harder, but
0: it's not attainable. No, no, I, I would agree. So how do we let go of guilt? Let's, let's talk about that. I talk about that in my empty nest full life book, because, you know, so many empty nest moms look back and then they experience guilt. And that's one of the things that I talk about. You have to let go of. And I talk about the need to give yourself grace. Because you did the best you could at that time with the knowledge and experience you had. Um, but what what do you find is helpful for letting go of guilt?
1: Well, one of the things that I find is helpful is sort of this way of determining if this is true guilt or if it's shame. And I noticed this with a lot of the feedback I got from the moms. There was sort of this sneaky progression from guilt into shame. So I look at it like guilt I think is really focused on an action, a behavior. Like I lost my temper with my child. I hurt her with the words that I said. I feel bad about that. And yeah. that's not a bad thing. And the the fruit of true guilt is repentance. So we own it. There's also a clear next step. There's something we can do to repair and make right what happened. Yes. But then shame is more about who I am as a person. So the kinds of things I was hearing from moms were things like, you know, I'm a horrible mother, my kids deserve better than to have a mom like me, Mm -hmm. or my kids would be better off with someone else. I mean, that's a that's a dangerous level of shame. And it's such a lie. And the real problem with that is that there's no clear next step. There's nothing you can really do to fix that. So I think, for me, it's been it's been really important to just make that determination is this true guilt and something I can do to take a next step? Or is this Shame. And the answer to both of those things is grace, because we have grace to forgive us when we, when we fail and we mess up and we sin. And there's grace to heal our shame. Mm. The root of that shame, which is that there's something wrong with me and I'm not, I'm not lovable or I'm not acceptable for who I am.
0: Yes. And you guys, shame is robbing so many of us of Contentment in motherhood. Um, It's robbing so many of us of joy in our lives. In fact, you know, my husband and I have, you know, quite the marriage journey and quite the marriage story. And he will tell you that it was ultimately shame that caused him to have an affair, it was ultimately shame that caused him to leave. And for him to be able to turn around and come home and for, for us to be able to heal, what he had to do is he had to deal with that shame inside of him, which honestly, much of that came from childhood. It, it, because it's the messages that you have heard Mm -hmm. in your head over and over again. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. And that feeds shame. Yeah. And you know, I like to call the difference between, I love how you just described this. I like to say that the, the true guilt is conviction. Yes. And that is, we want to be convicted of when we miss the mark. That's what Mm -hmm. the word sin means. It means to miss the mark. And so we want to experience conviction because it's like, that means, Hey, I don't want to do that again. That was not wise. That was not a a good thing. But then what happens is the enemy takes conviction oftentimes and just pushes it right over into condemnation. So it's, it's like you screwed up. Therefore Mm -hmm. you are a screw up. And it's like, that is not the Lord speaking at all. It's very different. It is. Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to be able to stay in that conviction place, but stay out of condemnation. So very yes. important. So I love that. Thank you very much. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that you talk about is you say that there is a common platitude that's not only false, it's not even in the Bible, but people think it is. What What is that? Yeah. And what guidance does the Bible give instead?
1: So that is what we often say to people who are going through a really tragic circumstance. Uh, Maybe they've suffered a loss, but we also will say it to moms sometimes who are just overwhelmed. You know, you'll hear people say, well, you know what the Bible says? God will never give you more than you can handle. And I've heard that a lot. I have probably even said it actually, but it's not in the Bible. And I think all throughout the Bible, we see examples of people who actually were given way more than what Mm -hmm. they could handle and what they felt like they could handle. I mean, I could name, you know, Moses was given a calling and he said, I can't do this. And even Mary, when she was told she was going to be the mother of Jesus said, how could this be? And I think it was her questioning of just how, how am I going to do this? How is this going to happen? So I think what we see is that we are given more than we can handle what that, the purpose in that is for us to turn to God and find our strength in him and learn to rely on him. So it's really pushes us to live in dependency on him and- I just think that's an important distinction because sometimes that God will never give you more than you can handle can make it sound like, well, God knew how strong of a person you are and that's why you're having to deal with this. Or God knew that you'd be able to handle these children with the special challenges that they have. So that's why he chose to give you these, these hardships. And I just think it kind of sends us in the wrong direction. A way it, it, I think it can send us into self-sufficiency and thinking, I've got this, you know, I'm strong. I can do hard things. All of those things. It's not bad to think that way, but we need to turn back and remember that we need to be finding our strength in God.
0: So really it pushes us into self sufficiency that we need to be replacing with God dependency.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think just to be able to admit like this is this is really hard. I don't have the strength on my own to handle this situation. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, You know,
1: to be honest about that. that
0: is so true. And so let's just apply that to the reality of motherhood. Okay, let's just say you've got a really fussy baby. And it is a day Mm -hmm. where, I mean, you just feel like I am at the end of myself. You probably are. And that's okay to admit, but to know Mm -hmm. that God has the ability to then fill the gaps that you have and to, to give you that extra level of strength that it's not, you can't find it yourself, not without him.
1: Yeah. And I think that's also, um, I mean, we see the example of Paul who had a thorn in his flesh and we don't know what that was, but he repeatedly asked God to take it from him because it was Mm. too much for him. And God came back and said, my grace is enough for you. So it wasn't about his ability to bear that pain, whatever that was. It was about God's grace and how sufficient that would be. And I see this a lot with the moms who, I have some moms who shared very honestly about their depression and their anxiety and just what it looks like to to be a mother in those situations like what you described with a crying baby or a child who wants you to get up off the couch and play hide and seek and you're in your pajamas still and you don't feel like you can even do that. To be able to be honest about that you feel like you're absolutely at the end Mm -hmm. of yourself.
0: Right. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to admit that because we all get to the Mm -hmm. end of ourselves. You know, it's funny. Just Mm -hmm. the other day, I was taking care of my granddaughter and she's, I mean, she's three months old and mom and dad were home, but dad was off. They had, he and my husband had run to get some Dinner, they were going to pick up dinner. And then my daughter in law was in the house uh, getting a couple of things done. And I'm telling you, little Willa was just could not be consoled. She, I tried every trick up my sleeve, and I got a lot of tricks up my sleeve. (laughs) I mean, after having, you know, five, five children, you've, you've got a lot of tricks and she just was not calming down. And I found myself, you know, even back into some of those thoughts that those places where I really was getting to the end of myself and just remembering what that feels like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I both believe really strongly that moms need to share their struggles more honestly. With each other, and you say that, you know, you have shared struggles along the way, um, especially during your daughter's teen years. Um, but I'm uh-huh. curious. All right, so let let's let's talk honestly here. What do you consider to be your biggest parenting fail, and how can you help mothers, other moms, from that experience or parenting struggle?
1: Yeah. Well, going back to what you had shared about sort of the brokenness that we carry with us into adulthood that often comes from our childhood. And I grew up in a home where anger was out of control and it was explosive, it was very damaging. And you would think it created a lot of fear in me. So you'd think that as an adult, I would just be able to not grow up and become an angry mother but that's not what happened. I found time and time again that I just was struggling so much with my anger and losing my temper. And especially when my daughter became a teenager, my oldest, we butt heads so often. And one day as I was leaving her room, I I slammed her door and a picture frame that was hanging on her wall actually came crashing down and hit the floor. And my daughter cried out, you know, you, you slammed the door and my frame fell and I opened the door. I immediately felt that guilt. I felt so bad. I said, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I will, I will not do that again. Well, about a month or two later, we had a fight that was even bigger. And as I left her room and the door left my hands, I just immediately felt that regret. And I waited for the crash of the door and the crash of the frame. And she yelled, you did it again. And this time you broke my frame. And I opened the door, and sure enough, the frame was cracked all the way up the the side. And this was a picture frame that was very special to her. She's very sentimental. She'd had it since she was a little girl. And I was heartbroken. I just was heartbroken with my own brokenness. And why do I keep doing this? And so a couple of things. I, I I had been looking at this part of myself that I really had wanted to change. But I started to see that underneath my anger oftentimes was fear mm. that was driving it. The anger was what came out, but oftentimes it was fear. And especially- What were you
0: afraid of?
1: Well, I was afraid that I was a horrible mother. I was afraid that my daughter was losing her way okay, because of some things that were going on. I was afraid that I didn't have control the way that I wanted to have control- But she came to me a couple days after I looked on the internet trying to find this exact picture frame that I had bought 20 years before. I could not find it. She came to me and said, would you help me fix my frame? And we sat at the table together. We didn't talk. We filled in the crack with some wood filler, and then we brushed stain over it. And I thought about, as we repaired the frame, I thought about the way that God repairs our relationships and the way he heals us if we will just humbly come to him. And so as I've just, over the years, it's not like there was one thing that I did that just helped me get a handle on my anger. It was coming back to the table time and time and time again and continuing to say, I know that I haven't gotten it right yet, but I'm going to keep working at it. And then for me, a big part of that work was looking under the surface of what am I afraid of and dealing with that fear. If I can bring that to God and I can be honest about the fear it sort of uh, short circuits the anger mm-hmm. because the anger is like a knee jerk reaction to what's underneath. Right. And I think it's so important to share struggles like this. And I have a really close friend who reads everything I write. And when I told the story in the book, she said, That's so vulnerable. Do you really want to share that? She just was double checking with me, which I so appreciate. But I thought, Yes, I do, because I know I'm not the only one. I know for a fact I'm not the only mom who struggles with anger. And I write a lot about the brokenness in our marriage and what my husband and I have gone through. And it's the same thing. I know we're not the only ones. So the hope is that as we share our struggles, as we're vulnerable, as we walk together, we can find healing. Oh my goodness.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I think a lot of times, and I I go back to where you were talking about it. You grew up in an angry home and you thought to yourself, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. But the truth is you interned in that. Like you learned that even though you said you don't want to do it, it's the only thing you saw done. So if we don't, one of the things that I've come to understand is you can make a statement like I'm never going to do blank, but if you don't replace it with a different way of responding to things, Then it will raise its head because it's your default, because it's what it's, it's like you learned by role model, even though that was Mm -hmm. a negative role model, but you saw it over and over again. And so you learned, this is the way that you react to situations that you can't control, or this is the way you react as a parent. And so you defaulted there. And so I think that that's really important us to realize is if you want to change something, you have to learn some different responses to it. Yeah. And, and then along the same way, I, what you just said about identifying what is underneath that, that is so wise. I think another thing mm-hmm. that's underneath anger for moms is control. Because we, Mm -hmm. like you said, you had the fear of losing control, but I think sometimes we use our anger to control, but what we don't realize is that it actually wounds. Yeah. And, and that's a place God may ask us to
1: grow. He may desire for us to grow. Yeah. And the thing I love though, about, you know, I think so often as moms, we just keep thinking if I could just be better then my kids will be better off. You know, it's, it, we can't stop ourselves from thinking that way. But I, what I have really seen is in my brokenness, as I am willing to do the work, look under the surface, I'm willing to do the hard work, I'm willing to take ownership, the healing that God can bring, it's like He can bring good out of our brokenness in a way that is so freeing because it takes this pressure off that I have someday. Maybe I'll get to the point where I'll be the good mom that I have always wanted to be. Mm. It takes that pressure off because we realize even in all of my failures, even in all of the things I don't get right, God is able to use that for good to equip our kids, to prepare them, to teach them what grace Mm -hmm. is. Um, to give them a more realistic view of what life is like and what their marriage might be like when they head into marriage and relationships and all of that. So
0: true. You know, I opened the No More Perfect Moms book with a story of me forgetting one of my children. And uh, she was at a uh, practice, an after-school practice, and I just completely forgot to pick her up. And I just, you know, of course I beat, I was beating myself up and all of that. But one of the things I talk about is that ultimately God used that to teach Mm -hmm. my daughter about what you do when you mess up. Because in that case, I mean, I didn't always handle those mess ups well, but in that case, I just owned it. I apologized and I asked for forgiveness. And so God Mm -hmm. used my mess for his message for my daughter. And that was a message about, guess what? You will mess up too. And here's what we do. We own it. We apologize. We ask for forgiveness and that, that helps to clean up that mess. So you're right. Mm -hmm. He can just use it in so many different ways.
1: Yeah. I love that story that you just shared. And I have a story I share in the book. My friend, Tricia, similar to what you just shared, she sent her son to school one day, um, And she forgot it was Super Reader Day, this really important day where they're supposed to bring a stuffed animal, their favorite book, their blanket. And when she realized it, I mean, she just thought, oh, that thought of him opening his backpack and not having what he needed. So very similar to what you said, she owned it. She just said, I'm so sorry. He said, I forgive you. But even more than that, he said he went to his teacher. He told her she had him pick a book off of her bookshelf. She had extra stuffed animals. He he was able to problem solve with his teacher. He learned how to be flexible, and it did not ruin his day. He came out of school happy that day, still enjoyed Super Reader Day, even though he didn't have his special things. And I just thought we want to raise kids who are resilient and are able to problem solve and don't fall apart when things are not perfect. Well, our imperfections, God can use yes. those. To help that and to help our kids as, as he shapes them. So again, it, to me, that just takes so much of the pressure off. Not that I'm not going to try every single day to do my best for sure, but.
0: And I think we need to try to do our yeah. best. It's just yeah. our best. It's fine to pursue excellence. It's when excellence trips over into perfect and having mm-hmm. an expectation of perfection that we get ourselves in trouble. Yes. Yeah. So Becky, do you think there's ever a time that it's okay to give advice to moms?
1: Oh, sure. Yes, I do. When,
0: when do you think that is? And how, and how does that best look so that it's not unwelcomed or it's not offering a cliche? What does that best mm-hmm. look like?
1: Well, I think it's best in the context of real friendship and genuine relationships. So like, I don't need somebody to who just met me to observe how I'm parenting my child and immediately give me advice. You know, I'm not going to receive that very well. I'm going to think you don't even know me like this is one moment in time and you're judging me, right? But absolutely for for women who have gotten to know me, they know my heart, maybe they know my story of what I've struggled with. I count on their advice and especially when they are committed to following God and they are they have wisdom because they're living according to God's word. If I'm, you know, able to receive advice from them, it's just, it's so helpful and it's something I count on. And I can't imagine doing this journey without other moms giving advice and sharing that. So I think in the context of relationship and only after You've listened really well and asked some questions so that you understand. And then it's always good to even ask the question, you know, I've got a couple thoughts. Would you like to hear? Mm, There you go. Instead of just, you know, pointing out. And Mm -hmm. a lot of these cliches, there are some truths. There are truths kind of buried within them. So it's not that they're all 100% false, but I think that cliches are just overused and trite. And I think it's so important to listen first and really get to know somebody.
0: Well, talk to us about just a few of the other cliches that you offer in your book and that you address in your book and just, you know, briefly why that isn't helpful and and what that does.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay. So I'm looking at my table of contents here. In addition to the ones we've talked about, one is a mother's love is totally pure and selfless. I have heard this before, and it's this idea that mothers, and first of all, mothers are special, and they have a very special role in the lives of their families. But this idea that mothers are somehow separate from the rest of the human race, or that we are somehow (laughs) superior, I mean, it's just, to me, that's absolutely ridiculous. I would never claim that myself. Mm -hmm. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. (laughs) This has always kind of bothered me because I think that while there is a ripple effect, that we all have with our moods and you know, anybody in the family can hijack family dinner or a family evening because of their anger or sour attitude. I just think there is this added pressure for moms to have to kind of keep it all together mm. and be positive for your kids. And even if you're going through a really difficult season, like don't let your kids see it. And cause if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Another chapter I knew I wanted to do was just wait until they become teenagers because this is another thing that more experienced moms love to say to overwhelmed mothers of young children. (laughs) It's (laughs) so not helpful. Just wait till they become teenagers. It just fills moms with dread. I actually included some... Things from our former youth pastor. I asked him, Tell me what you love most about working with teenagers. And I included it in here. And he just had such a great perspective mm-hmm. on um, how special, even though it's challenging, yeah. but how special that time is. And we don't need to be afraid of it.
0: I love it. I knew I wanted
1: to write about marriage. So another one I have is Kids Come First. You can work on your marriage later. I think that's one we slip into very easily because the demands of parenting are so great. And we put all of our energy and our time and our financial resources into our kids. And it's really easy to let our marriage just kind of be pushed to the back burner. And we'll think, you know, someday, someday we can work on our marriage or someday things will be better or easier. And that just doesn't happen. It doesn't. How about one more? One more, always trust your motherly instincts. Hmm. This one I hear a lot. And I think that oftentimes our motherly instincts can be right on the money. And I talk about sometimes that that has happened, but man, I have been off base sometimes. I just, (laughs) you know, I think I know something that's going on. And I talk about that some, I have a couple kind of really humorous examples of times that I was so far off, but really. I think the truth there is that we cannot rely on our feelings or our instincts because so often they are influenced by our past experiences, by some of our fears. Like I might think my daughter is out on a Friday night doing something other than what she's told me because when I was her age, that's what I was doing. So I can be very suspicious in that way and think I know and and be wrong. So I think it's so important to be able to check it out with other moms and have other moms give their perspective and then to just not rely on our own intuition or our own feelings.
0: Right. Wow. That's a great, that's a great perspective. Wow. So, you know, one of the things you shared with me when we talked about doing this interview is you shared that you are a bit of an unlikely speaker because of something that you struggled with in childhood. I would love for you to share that, Becky, because I think that that is really an important story for people to hear and to understand. Yeah. So will you share that with us? Sure.
1: I'd be happy I'd be happy to. Well I started stuttering in third grade, which is kind of old for a child to develop that kind of problem, but it just snowballed as I got older. So all throughout school I struggled a lot in class and really all I wanted or what I was aware of wanting was I just wanted to finish school and be done with that and then become an adult and figure out a way that I wouldn't have to speak in front of people ever again. (laughs) And I say that that's what I was aware of because it's not really what I wanted. Okay. Because really now that I've, I mean, this journey has been a long time coming for me, but about 10 years ago, you know, I'm a writer and I wanted to, I love writing because it's I can sit behind my computer and I don't have to to open my mouth and speak. So I was doing that for a while. And then um, I was encouraged to go to a writer's conference. And my big takeaway from my first writer's conference was that I should start speaking to moms groups. And I just, the very first time someone said that, I thought, no way, no way, I cannot be a speaker. And then the next day, someone else said it to me. I was at a three-day conference and three different people said, you should speak at moms groups. And by the third time someone said it, I thought, okay, God, you have my attention. I mean, and you know what I remembered is that when I was a little girl and I used to play alone in my bedroom, I had a tape recorder that my mom had gotten me with a microphone. And I used to pretend that I was doing like a podcast, like what I'm doing right now with you. I would pretend like I was interviewing someone. I would pretend like I was being interviewed. I would pretend to be a speaker. I would give little sermons. Oh my So that's why I'm saying it's what I was aware of that I didn't think I could do, but what I really wanted and what I've always wanted was to be a communicator. Mm -hmm. And I just thought I could only do it through writing. So for me, I just said, yes. And not even like, Oh God, like, you know, God is calling me to Africa. I have to go, even though that's the one thing I told him I don't want to do. It wasn't like that. It was like an invitation, Mm -hmm. you know, where this woman, the third person who said, I think you should speak at Mops Group. She said, I'm actually a Mops leader and I want you to come tell your story. I told her why I couldn't do it. And she said, I just want you to come tell your story because we all have something that we're ashamed of, that we feel like disqualifies us from doing maybe what God has called us to do. So I said, yes, I said, yes. And The first time that I spoke, I just, I wrote everything out. I read it word for word. And when I got done and I sat down at the table, I really felt like God kind of whispered inside and said, see, I knew you'd love it. Mm. Because it's what he made me to do. And it's been, it's one of my favorite things to do.
0: Wow. I love that. Yeah, that is super exciting. Do you deal with fear at all when you go into an interview like this or um, a speaking that that the stuttering because you even said you still can stutter as an adult.
1: So do you
0: deal with fear about that? Or is that are you at a place where you're finally getting past that fear?
1: Um, I do. I do still have anxiety like for this podcast, you know. A very little bit because I just, I've really learned to think about it as I'm just talking to one person. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. And even when I'm speaking, it's this idea of I'm speaking to one person mm-hmm. who needs to hear this message. Yes. But I have done some bigger speaking engagements where I was asked to speak um, at a church here in the Chicago area for Mother's Day a couple years ago. And I, I thought I was going to pass out. I was just <laughs> like, it was really like one of the scariest things. But I just thought I'm not in the business of saying no, because I've seen what God, how far he can take me when I'm willing and I say yes. And I'm willing that even if I stutter, it's not the end of the world. Yep. The very first radio interview I did with my first book a few years ago, I did stutter and I was terrified. It was one of the scariest things that I thought I could never do was talk on the radio. Mm -hmm. And what really blew me away is I stuttered. And I just owned it. I just said, you know what? This is like, I can't believe I'm on the radio right now because I never thought I'd be able to do something like this. And the radio host took the conversation in a totally different direction. And we talked about fear and anxiety. And I hung up the phone after the interview and thought, you know what, God, if you want to use me and you want to use this weakness that I have whenever it's going to pop up, then I'm just going to trust you Mm. and be willing. I love that.
0: Yes. Yeah. Wow. That is, and I know that that's going to touch a listener who is disqualifying themselves in their Mm -hmm. mind that this is not, you know, they can't do something because of their weakness. So thank you. I think that's so powerful. Well, this has been a fabulous Mm -hmm. conversation. Thank you so much, Becky.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh, Becky's book, if you want to pick it up, I'll make sure that there's a link to it in the show notes. But again, it's called Enjoy Every Minute and Other Ridiculous Things We Say to Moms. And Becky, where can people find you online?
1: They can find me at beckyboudouin.com. Okay. And spell your last name. It's B-A-U-D-O-U-I-N. Gotcha.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we thank you so much for being my guest, Becky. I really want to close today in prayer. Would you be willing to pray for, for the moms that are listening and specifically dealing with either that mom guilt or that disqualifying themselves? Would you pray for that?
1: Sure. I'd love to. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had together to share and to talk and to to tell our stories but also to tell the story of what you have done in our lives and i pray for moms who are listening especially moms who may be feeling overwhelmed and burdened by guilt or anxiety whatever it might be lord i just pray that that you would bring back any of the truths that we've talked about to her even after this interview is over and that you would speak to her and that you would just let her know that you see her and that you know her mm-hmm. And I especially pray for moms, too, who are feeling like they just have weaknesses. Maybe they have disqualified themselves, even from ever feeling like they could be a good mom. And I pray, God, that you would just help us to walk in the truth that your strength is made perfect in our weakness and for us to be able to let go of this desire to to try to prove that we are good enough, um, but that we would be able to just completely trust you, that you can work in and through our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, Mm -hmm. amen. amen.
0: for joining me today on the no more perfect podcast if you haven't already make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations you can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org podcast see you next week for another not perfect but very important conversation about the real stuff of life